Hello! Welcome to Why Not Both, the podcast all about how our multiple passions and interests shape our identity and our lives. My name is Pam Schaefer, and I am a musician and therapist in Los Angeles, and I also happen to be your host. This podcast is produced by Laura Studeris, and for this season, we've partnered up with Under the Radar magazine. If you like what you hear, you can hang out with us on social media. We are on Twitter and Instagram at WNB, the podcast. And if you really, really like what you hear, please support us on Patreon. We are under Why Not Both podcast. When you join our Patreon, you get a whole bunch of really cool behind the scenes stuff and you get to chat with us. And that's pretty awesome. Thank you so much for your support and I hope you enjoy our interviews. For this week's episode, we welcomed Tamara of The Weather Station. I hope you enjoy our interview. So welcome to Why Not Both, where we are only moderately chaotic at all times. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really cool to see that, one, you wrote a really, really lovely album, but two, that you did a lot of climate advocacy, it looks like, around that album, um, is what was mentioned in all the fun and exciting emails I got about you. Cool. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, normally I would start the interview by being like, so what is it you do? But since like society has kind of ended and rebooted in its zombie format, I'm more just like, hey, how are you? How's stuff going? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm doing really well personally, but uh, it's funny how that's always tempered these days. It feels like uh, I'm doing well personally. Um but, you know, it's hard to watch the world right now. Yes. Yes. That cognitive dissonance is very strange. I feel similarly in that, like, things on a micro level are going well. And then I look at the macro and I'm like, oh. Yeah, it's it's hard to, um, it's hard to deal, you know, it, the, things have been very chaotic especially since COVID. Um, but I've been, I've been thinking about it a lot. And um, sometimes I kind of see it as like, this is just basically a preview of what the rest of our lives is going to be like in, in a lot of ways. And that there's all, I think from now on, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. And I find myself switching into a new mindset that isn't bad, where I just sort of focus more on the present, honestly. And, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when it's a beautiful day, it's a beautiful day. And when something happens that you weren't sure was going to happen, you almost feel more joyful, you know, because <laughs> you're like, wow, I can't believe we're doing this right now. You know, everything is just sort of like a bit more, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just like, take what you can get. And I, and I have been thinking about that as like a transition from, you know, living in a very like well-to-do society where, you know, if you order something, it comes to your door at the time it says it's supposed to, to, you know, I, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I'm, I'm curious to know what's going to happen next. Uh, and whether this is, yeah, like a little preview of what, of what the future is. I feel similarly in that, I don't know, I was thinking about it in terms of, wow, 
how you can tell I'm from California. I was like, I was thinking about it in terms of the tarot where, mm-hmm. <laughs> where like people tend to get upset if they see like the tower card or the death card in their readings where they're just like, mm. oh my gosh. Um, especially like the tower is like where everything falls apart, but like mm. in a way when things fall apart, it does give you then the opportunity to find like uh, the systems that maybe weren't working for you are the ones that fell apart or the ones that already were broken that you were just kind of trying to like hold up. Um, when those fall away, it does give you then the opportunity to like either build a new system or find appreciation for the things that are left essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can be more purposeful instead of being like, oh, I'm living in this crumbling tower, but like, it's okay. Cause the tower is still standing. Um, it's like, if the tower falls over, then you have to make another choice. Yeah, that's true. That's, that feels like a pretty good pretty good depiction of where where society is at though there are many people in society who really don't want to accept that (laughs) yeah (laughs) I feel like people are looking at the crumbling tower and are like it's fine there's no crumbling tower like this is great and you're just like no I I think the tower's (laughs) fallen over I think (laughs) totally yeah yeah it's true it's true I like what you said about staying in the present moment. And I'm curious what helps you hang out there. Cause sometimes that can be challenging. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm good at it. I definitely have an anxious, uh, you know, I'm, I have an anxious personality. So thinking about the future is what my brain likes to do. <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess, I guess I mean the present of like, I don't think I'm like a champion of being living in the moment, but um, yeah, the present in terms of just not taking anything for granted. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah. And like I say, just enjoying small things more, I suppose, like a walk around the neighborhood or an encounter with a neighborhood cat or the really nice sky in the evening, you know, all these things have felt very meaningful to me lately. And uh that feels like a part of a shift in headspace for sure. That I love what you said about the neighborhood cat. Like my greatest joy in moving back to my own home after construction is that one of my neighbors has a cat who visits me and she hasn't visited mm. yet. Like I've been here for three days and I'm like, does she know I'm back? Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, how do I signal that like she should come hang? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, you know, I feel like the dominant culture is like dog culture, but cat culture is so interesting. I don't have a cat, but I really appreciate the neighborhood cats and just the practice of, I mean, hopefully people put really good bells on them so they don't kill any birds. But yep, I just I like the situation of of their be- of the cats just living their life and having a different experience of the neighborhood than than I do. You know, I think they're like yes. a really nice, reliable portal to another perspective I think it's is it Murakami who often includes cats in his narratives I remember that at least one of his books has has cats in it in that exact way of like that cats have their own their own view of things in the neighborhood that like because they visit different spots and you know are in people's homes in a way that like another person never would be absolutely yeah it's I think it is him and and yeah it's a really interesting um, my upstairs neighbor had a cat that used to hang out in my apartment a lot, Billy. And, and one day Billy disappeared and we were really scared and we like put up flyers all over the neighborhood and 
and uh, you know had a worried couple days, and then and then it turned out Billy was living just in the house behind our house, like literally like a hundred <laughs> meters away. Billy had just like basically like her owner had stopped feeding her like a fancy food because the the vet had told her to cut back, and so Billy just was like, you know what, that's fine. I'll just move across a across oh the garden fence. God. Totally had moved into someone else's house. <laughs> who I'd never met, you know, like my neighbor. I never met her, never seen her before. It was just really funny. I love that Billy just like took matters into her own hands and was just like, like screw diet culture. I'm moving into another totally. house. <laughs> totally. Yeah, she was like, ah, I want more scraps from the table. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, that is so funny. It's almost like we've all taken on, or at least the people I've been talking to have taken on this really different scope than before. Like I can't imagine say two years ago, even talking about like the revolutionary effects of your neighbor's cats visiting and how much it's like, oh yeah, that's like the highlight of my day. And I'm like, wow, our scope has really changed. Yeah, it's interesting. I I recently, because I have some shows coming up, knock on wood, cross my fingers. Yeah. Um, I'm knocking on wood and, on the desk for you. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. And uh, I I was like, oh, I guess I should play a couple old songs because there's some longer set times. And so I pulled out the guitar, which I hadn't played in so long. And I was playing my old songs and I was like, I felt so weird. Like they felt like they were from another time like I felt like they were written to another world for another world and it's so yeah it's so interesting wow real real visceral feeling of how long ago you know 2018 was basically that's literally I just said to a friend last night like hey do you remember 2019 like we were so young yeah absolutely (laughs) we were we were like remember what that felt like um that's fascinating though that it's like I guess are there emotions in the songs that you feel like you are connecting to since they are in a way I mean they are from like a different era with everything that's happened to us in the old songs or or in like my more recent songs I guess in the old songs did you find like emotional threads that you did connect with even though they are like from it from the before I mean not really like I it's that thing of like they're old songs so I don't like them anymore (laughs) To be honest, to be perfectly honest, no, not this old thing. Yep, yep. Yeah. That's it's so funny talking to other writers because do you have this phenomenon that like when I write a new song, it doesn't even matter if like it ends up being one that I like fully produce out or like give to anyone or anything. But it's like when I'm writing it, if I don't feel like it's like the best thing ever and I'm so hype, like I wouldn't continue writing it. Like the new song is always the one you're the most excited about, like in, until like the next new song. Yeah, yeah, that that definitely happens to me. But my weird thing is I never really finish songs. So Mm. I don't usually like if I didn't go back to the old songs, I would just never finish a song. So (laughs) I've learned ways to keep myself back in the loop of the old songs Ah. that I'm trying to finish. Though I think too, I'm, I'm also better at determining like, oh, this is a song that like, I can let go of or like, this is a song I definitely need to hold on to. Got it. And got it. Yeah. There are some songs that I write that I'm like, this is for other people. And this is definitely not, I have to write it anyway, but it's not for other people. (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, I think I just need to, I've realized that from writing songs, sometimes like the song needs to come out 
before the next song can come out (laughs) and so it's like if you don't finish it or you don't let it out you're just trapped you know it's like a blockage yes even if it's like the song that you don't you don't want anyone to hear or exactly want anyone to know about you still have to write it yep yep you have to get it out of the way otherwise it just like precludes you from the next song and you're Mm -hmm. like all right all right I don't even like this song anymore but I'm gonna finish it it's just for me (laughs) where I guess where are you playing and have you played at all live during this like outside or did you do any live streaming or is this going to be like really your first foray back into into that world um we played a live stream we did a bunch of like sessions like like video sessions um and then we played one show in quebec one festival um and that has been our only show so this will be pretty big um we're going to the states for well actually we were gonna go play bonnaroo festival which Mm -hmm. was canceled um and now we're so now we're playing um detroit chicago pitchfork music festival and a Mm -hmm. festival in chicago milwaukee okay so it sounds like kind of like, I guess then bigger festivals. So one that's outdoors. Yay. We love this. Um, mm-hmm. But wow. What a way to hop back in. <laughs> like... Yeah. They're pretty big shows, but I mean, our, our big show, like we were going to start with Bonnaroo. So at least now we start with a little show in Detroit first. There we go. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, I was just thinking about like Bonnaroo and Bumbershoot. I went to college in that area. And so I was just like, oh. Um, uh, yeah I mean it's a crazy because COVID was so bad there and then in the end it was oh my God. <laughs> just a true uh true tale of the times I think. <sighs> that's like I, I heard that Airwaves was canceled this year again which bummed me out because that's my favorite music festival um Iceland Airwaves yeah oh yeah yeah I've never been Oh my God. It's so much fun. It's, it's just like, everyone's so excited to be there. And also like Reykjavik is such like a great city to walk around that I think it's the combination of the two is just like, everyone's really hype to just Mm. be there in general. And so it's like, it's this wonderful festival atmosphere that also, since you can't like be partying outside that much, it, uh, it dodges the whole, lots of people on drugs outside portion of festivals that's nice uh, <laughs> which that's my favorite as like a very short person like being in a crowd of people who are intoxicated is like a nightmare for me because I'm just like hi I'm a hobbit like are you guys okay also I can't see anything uh, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what it's like being back at the festival circuit because what I've been hearing from people is that the audiences feel different because like everyone's been pent up for so long that the audience energy is really, really like intense in a good way. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's good to know. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Cause like people are like just excited that you're there. I mean, it sounds kind of actually like how people are at airways where they're just like excited to be there. That same thing where it's like, Oh my God, we get to go outside and like see music this is the best (laughs) yeah I hope so I mean we were pretty stoked when we went and played that one festival in Quebec we were we were very grinning and uh very happy people so yeah but it feels a little different now with with all the tighter COVID feelings and and that and that kind of thing is just a little less a little less relaxed so we'll see what happens I hope that it goes really well because I can also imagine that having recorded beautiful music you're just like I I want to share this with people like and it's such a different experience 
Yeah, absolutely. And and this record in particular was I made it for live. Like that was a huge part of what I was thinking about. Like I remember being in the recording studio and being like, this is for the show, you know, like thinking about it. <laughs> and I'd never done that before. All my records have been like these strange, like internal sort of affairs. And this was, yeah, this is my first like very outward looking record. And but you know, it's okay because I still feel so lucky for everything that's happened with the record. Like, I feel like I had a very unusual experience in terms of people really latching onto it. So, you know, compared to what could have happened, I feel really grateful. Oh, yeah. What was your journey with being able to release it during this time? Which that's, I was like the dramatic irony of being like, I finally made an album that was geared towards the live experience. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, like, I think we just had beautiful luck of of the world really understanding it and um you know the 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 release for me became focused much more on for example making music videos like I was able to put Mm. so much energy into that and and that became like a really communicative tool um that I felt really happy to have put out there and then Mm -hmm. um yeah just just sort of writing and and like I've been writing a newsletter and that's been very you know, a big job every month. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, kind of these, these more one-on-one ways of connecting. I mean, I've been, I've been keeping in mind personally, and I hope, you know, other people can as well. Of just like, you know, one thing I liked about the pandemic was it gave recorded music, like a real shot to be important, you know, and, and yes. recorded music has always been important to me. So yeah, I, I kind of appreciated the lack of hoopla uh, and and the focus on just just songs recorded songs mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that that's still at least I hope that it's still like ongoing now where it's like especially since like people are playing the occasional festival dates but like I don't really see anybody going on like really like full tours currently where it's like people have now seen that you can record music and connect with people in different ways where obviously there's no substitute for the live experience that's its own realm but like you were saying that you were writing like your newsletters and things like that, I guess, like what kind of things were you writing about and how did you connect with people through that? Like, what was that experience like? Um, I mean, yeah, like, I guess I just saw it as, as like, well, I can make it anything I want, I want and people can unsubscribe if they want, you know, I mean, it was to, you know, put out, you know, as a way to reach people aside from social media. So yeah, usually the first thing is like, here's the new video. But um, yeah, I've written about books I like, I've written about albums I like, I've written about climate change a bunch, I've written about, um, you know, like the main, the sort of biggest thing about it is I, uh, I have like a question in the newsletter where you can ask a question and I'll answer it. Aww. So a couple of people asked really thoughtful questions that I answered like in like insane, insanely long detail. So <laughs> I had a lot of time on my hands and I wrote these like really long responses. Um, yeah, just to like life questions. So that was sort of become a big, big thing. And yeah, I mean, I definitely hope like I really love touring. And that's like something I personally really enjoy and, and care about. But I definitely hope that in the future, um, it can be an optional thing, you know, because yeah. it doesn't work for a lot of musicians. And I've seen so many musicians who are so amazing. And their music is so amazing. And they just haven't been able to make a go of it because they can't tour, you know, right. whether because of health, or mental health or just money you know like it's pretty expensive to go on tour and 
you know, you have to have a flexible job if you have a job and, you know, like it's right. not easy and, and it's just not like a very, I really hope for a more moderate music future where, yeah, you can, you can be a recording artist or you can be a recording and touring artist and it doesn't have to be both. Yeah. Cause it definitely, uh, I, I really like what you said that it's like, touring really does work for some people but for other people it you know it kind of actually dissuades them I've learned and that does a disservice to then them actually sharing their music which is amazing and you're like well why would you have someone do something that like actually works against them yeah well and I think it's like it's like so many things like people don't really understand the way the music industry is it's like you can you can put records on Bandcamp and you know, you're free to release music without touring. It's just like the focus of the industry has been so, you know, like no labels aren't going to sign you if you're not going to tour basically, you know, like you're not going to get a manager if you're not going to tour. And so like, it's, there's been just like a a really strong pressure. So it's like, yeah, people or people just sort of like find out the hard way. Like they're like, why isn't anyone getting into my record? And it's like, well, you didn't tour it exhaustively. And yeah, so that's what I mean. Why, where it's like it's not, it is option. Nobody tells you it's, you know, it, it it's a, uh, it's just been not optional in the way that the music is perceived and you know put out there into the world. Right, right. It's hard to get music out there, and touring yeah. is one of the best ways of, of just getting around. But like in terms of like a manager, for example, like managers make a lot of money from touring, so they have a pretty strong incentive and and it's always like worth pointing out you know like managers and booking agents like they get paid whether or not the artist makes money so they'll get paid on from a tour even if the artist lost money so it's it's another aspect that's quite complicated anyways we don't need to talk about (laughs) this forever i was gonna say the economics of music um which it's interesting that I was talking to another artist, like sometimes people don't know the economics of music and that's fine as like a music consumer, but as a musician, like a lot of this knowledge shouldn't necessarily be like gate kept, like musicians should know this stuff going in so that that way they can be more savvy about what they're choosing to do or not do. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, people have been talking about that for a while of like, is it gatekept? You know, like I think I think sometimes musicians just forget to we we don't talk enough about money and and these sorts of pragmatic concerns. Um, you know, but there's lots of people also trying to change that basically. And and I think too, like one of the biggest barriers is I think a lot of musicians um feel like a certain level of like shame around success and money. And mm. I think that's part of why they don't talk to each other because people don't want to be like, oh my God, I lost money on this tour. Did you lose money on yours? You know, like, it's like, yes. it's like, it's like, a, a, you know, an acquaintance of mine recently shared a story of how he was like totally screwed over by his, la- his first label and manager. And, and he'd recently shared it publicly after like literally like 15 years whoa and everyone was like oh my god like I had no idea you know it it created this you know wellspring of um you know kindness and support and um and he he just was like wow I really I don't know why I never told anyone this happened he's like I guess I felt ashamed 
I felt ashamed I didn't know any better and I was like oh my god that's so sad oh um but yeah anyways this is yeah no that side you had mentioned something also about like people who have who have jobs who are also musicians like people who have day jobs that's one of the reasons actually why I even like thought of this podcast in the before times was especially that like a lot of artists will feel shame if they either like you said like get screwed over in a deal that they didn't know or if they have like another source of income because then they perceive that like their music somehow or their art isn't a job and like yeah yeah, there's like a lot of narratives wrapped up in that yeah it's kind of absurd and actually one of my newsletters I wound up talking about that quite a bit of like why do we have that distinction when it's like almost impossible to make money from music so you know in my musical world most people have jobs and you know there's no that's fine that's that's a worthy way of going through life you know if you can if you can do it yeah yeah that it's like I saw this great meme that was about like essentially you know can we can we go back to the days of an eccentric rich person just adopting an artist or two? <laughs> oh, I like... thought about that. Yeah, it, the, the days of patronage. I mean, it's it's, yeah. interesting. it's interesting because even like, I don't know, are you in America? Yeah, I'm um, I'm in Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting thing. Whereas like in Canada, we do, we do there is like a grant system. There's various grant systems. Um, mm-hmm that do do fund artists and you know there's a lot wrong with them and everyone has their gripes and frustrations and concerns but one thing it does do is especially there's there's like pretty powerful like arts councils um that specifically fund like non-commercial music and uh it does foster the creation of a lot of music that you know doesn't have a mark you know it's not marketable music it's not right. it's not money making music it's just music that is artistic and needs to exist and there's a proud, a proud community of musicians in, in Canada who like aren't even thinking about, I mean, I think people care about, you know, being heard, but you know, one thing I always notice when I travel to the States is just, just so much emphasis on success mm-hmm. and, and, and it, I understand because like, you know, something I always try to explain to people is like, in order to, make a normal middle-class living as a musician you have to be in like the one percent of success basically like yeah you know like just to make like what a you know what a like a I don't know marketing manager makes you right. know like what a <laughs> what a like mid-level like IT not even like that's that they probably make a lot more than the one percent. <laughs> like it's just it's not in order to just be middle class, you have to be so good and yeah. so lucky and have all, all the pieces fall into place. So, you know, it's it's something that I think musicians don't quite understand when they when they enter it that anyways, how yeah. much is yeah. And I think it's good that you are talking about this and that you wrote about it in your newsletter so that also both musicians and even people who are even tuning in and listening to the music understand what's going on with the person that's creating that music because Mm -hmm. there's empathy right there because if if a fan thinks like or a listener thinks like oh yeah like this musician's fine like I hear them all the time and I can see that they you know they have a lot of fans so like I don't need to like you know buy their music or buy their merch like to support them if they think that they're okay essentially I think that that's some of like 
in some ways like the illusion of being a musician is like people want to buy into like that you're just this like fairy tale creature that exists on air and good wishes but if it fosters the empathy of like oh yeah like artists also do need to get paid this is what's going on like people who do then you know tune in and like the music then are like oh they actually need like fiscal support or things yeah. like that <laughs> like, totally. it's to kind of help people make that connection so it's not that you're like you know trying to shake down your listeners for money but to be like hey this is what goes into this and this is what is compensated and this is what's not because I think a lot of people do feel shame around that and I agree that like especially in the U.S. because we don't really have grants like that like there are like art grants that are some of my friends who are in the art world it's like this intensely like labyrinthine process of oh, totally. for like these are really really hard to get like not very uh frankly just not the most like supportive grants yeah <laughs> um, and so it doesn't leave you with a lot of options and so I think that that's why people strive for what they perceive as success here um and why it's so shameful to talk about if you have a day job whereas like I mean so many musicians either have like a day job doing things outside of music or doing things that like aren't just writing music within music whether that's like being a session musician or like engineering or you know like really anything I was curious like when you were writing the newsletters you said that people could answer questions but I'm curious if people like wrote lengthy responses to you like did people write back to you about the topics you were writing about um, sometimes a few people have, yeah, like they've used the question button to, to respond to something I'd said before. Um, though I mean, a lot of people just reach out on, sometimes people reach out on social media or whatever. And they say like, I saw what you wrote about this in the newsletter. I mean, yeah, like I did want to have some sort of like gentle reciprocity. Uh, yeah. yeah. In a way that's not social media. Cause I, I struggle with social media and like, responding (laughs) um it's really wild so yeah yeah anyways does it on socials I don't know if it's because you get a daily use of stuff or if it's just kind of abstract but I at least if I get like an actual email or if I get a note from someone it somehow stands out to me more and I can more easily mentally accommodate it is the way I'd put it uh an email yeah yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I mean, yeah, like I think I think like social media is odd and that it does create like a illusion of closeness, you know, that like the person's just right there and you can yeah. just talk to them and 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 that and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, I know a lot of people in the public eye are very like they embrace that quality. Um, but I'm kind of shy, so I find that kind of intense sometimes. Oh. I don't really know what to do. But uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it, it creates, someone said the word parasocial, which I found really interesting, where since you're like the public figure, people think that they already know you because they see of you what you put out into the media and then they have a relationship with like, almost like your online avatar, like the part of you that you actually do, you know, have on social media. But it's parasocial in that they're having a relationship with you, but like you aren't having a relationship with them. Like you aren't experiencing them in return. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's not reciprocal, which is which is okay, you know. But uh, yeah, I think that's something I like about the newsletter because it's a bit more honest. Of like, I'm writing a thing and sending it out. You know, it's not like um, 
it doesn't have the illusion of closeness. <laughs> it's an email. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a lot more straightforward. And also it sounds like then it actually does facilitate communication in a way that's manageable and productive instead of, oh, I don't know you and you feel like you know me because of the nature of this media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. What, I guess, like what conversations have you been having around, around climate change? Because, uh, well, even the news this week, I was just thinking about it. I'm like, so what just happened this week? And I'm like, everything's flooded and also everything is simultaneously on fire. Um, I was like, so this is a very relevant topic. Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because I still don't feel like I've had many in real life conversations about it, but online, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see the conversation unfold. And, um, you know, I really, I've become a, like, I really like climate Twitter, basically. Like I, mm-hmm. I care a lot about, I feel like I have that relationship with some climate people that parasocial <laughs> relationship only I'm the watcher. I'm like, Oh, you know, like someone's like evacuating you know from the hurricane or whatever and I'm like, they're okay like, um, I feel right. yeah I mean I think it's 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 difficult I mean I'm grateful that this is a wake-up call this summer has been really intense in terms of the weather and I think people are really it's a real wake-up call so you know there's some hope as always of something happening you know I definitely believe uh that Biden you know, seems to care. And the administration is far more legit on climate than even Obama's, like far more, they have much more ambitious plans, but Mm -hmm. it's frightening that it it just might get, you know, pushed aside. Uh, And, and, and I, I still, I mean, I have a lot of feelings about it. Definitely like the last couple of weeks, this summer in particular has been very, um, very climate feelings for me yeah I was uh hadn't been feeling that stuff for a while um yeah but it was it was really it's really coming home right now even though it hasn't affected me personally uh where I am in Canada um yeah I mean I think I don't know I think a lot of things (laughs) I guess I should narrow it down I am interested I'm interested in all of your thoughts um one of the ones that came to mind was I saw, I saw yet again a post. Um, it's so funny. I go on my social media feeds. I try and limit myself to like 15 minutes a day so that it doesn't drive me crazy. Mm. Um, and so like that 15 minutes is kind of like an information frenzy. Um, but there was a post about like how we even frame talking about climate stuff, because if we frame it as just this like, apocalyptic event then people feel paralyzed and therefore they don't do anything like they're just kind of like okay well we feel bad and we acknowledge it's happening but we also feel powerless and also if we frame it as this is something happening to the world as opposed to this is happening to us like that feels then you know you can't necessarily have empathy for like the entire world but you certainly could be like hey like the home that you live in is being trashed like don't you want to clean up your home Um, because then it like kind of actually gives people personal investment um and so I was curious like when you're talking about it what are things that you've talked about about that people can actually do that you know 
not just like, oh, we should recycle, but it's like, how can people advocate for change? Because obviously like change has to come from like the people who are actually perpetuating the biggest things, which are generally worldwide corporations, not just like an individual being like, I took a five minute shower versus a seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, one thing I just want to jump in on is like your, your point about framing. I mean, it's like, it's, it's interesting because there's so much conversation you know, and the climate, it drives the climate movement crazy. I mean, so many people, um, you know, there's people kind of full on just, just doing media criticism and talking about how horribly climate is framed in the the media and how many mistakes are made, um, which is something that's really frustrating. But I mean, one thing I'll say is like this, this argument of like, oh, you can't be too negative because then people will turn off and you can't be too hopeful because then it's untrue. You know, like none of this would be a conversation if climate change was just you know, half of the articles in the newspaper, which is what it should be, right? Like Agreed. if we covered it the way that we've covered COVID, it would, it would be exhaustive. You know, we've seen every take on COVID. You, you, you can see every perspective, every framing, you know, like we've, that's never happened with climate. It's never right. received anywhere near the attention of even of like the Black Lives Matter movement, for example, or, you know, like it's just this silent, thing and and there should be you know climate should be in you know it should be like in the economic section we should be talking about climate in the sports section you know like it should be in every section of the newspaper real estate you know like what's the impact on the insurance industry you know like all of these things and if that was the case then there wouldn't be any question of like oh is it too negative is it too positive like it would be like oh everyone has a much broader like, like yeah. people are very ignorant about it, but you can't blame them because it's literally been like hidden and silenced as a, as a reality. Right. And, and yeah, like many people still think climate change is a, is a polar bear on an ice flow, not like, you know, food insecurity, Yes. even in like a wealthy nation, like America um, or Canada anyways. So that's what I think about framing, but in terms of like what people can do, like, I think, you know, I, I, um, uh, I guess Dr. Ayana Elizabeth Johnson um, and Catherine Wilkinson, there's this project called All We Can Save, and they've sort of come up with this Venn diagram that's like what you should do for climate. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like, what are you good at? You know, um, what brings you joy? What needs doing, basically? And then, and then the things that meet in the, in the center is what you should do. it's a beautiful it's a beautiful idea and I think I think the point is like what should you do everything and anything you know like obviously it it drives me crazy how many people I talk to or you know if I talk on social media or wherever it is like I feel like 90% of the people I'm talking to who are you know nodding along and liking the tweet have still never called their representative and said hey this is really important to me you know like start there right (laughs) uh you know do it every week you know or do it a lot or whatever I mean I remember making a post like right before the IPCC report where I was like there was this like the resolution the budget resolution bill in your country uh you know it's a huge deal for climate and there were some things that climate activists were asking for and I made this big big video like asking Americans who follow me to like just call their senators and you know ask for these specific things and I just got like zero response like none whatsoever and I was like wow like wow is it so hard to do that you know like right it takes but but I you know I have to be more 
charitable and understand like it's there's a lot of inertia but anyways we can all start there that's something we can all do and then you know I think like you know it's it's difficult but it's like I guess the next step is like whatever whatever world you're in like I think I mean just talking about it is really important just, mm -hmm. just talking about it making it real you know divestment is important I think like you know divesting money from mm -hmm. fossil fuels and mm -hmm. you know lots of people are a part of a union or you know some sort of pension plan and they can always you know start complaining that 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 your money is in fossil fuels as most people's money is um you know i think like there's as many climate solutions as there are people like i think lots of people if you give them a chance come up with something awesome they can contribute and yeah, I mean, for me, like, I don't think I've done anything of great importance, but definitely my personal, I feel the thing I feel strongly about of like, what I'm meant to do is like, what what I've seen results from is just, it's just talking really emotionally about it and, mm -hmm. and using I a lot, you know, just just expressing my feelings. Yeah, because I think that when I express my feelings, it gives people a chance to feel theirs. Yeah, and I think with climate, the one of the biggest problems is no one's allowed themselves to feel the feelings because yes. it's super scary. It's really overwhelming. And your your brain wants to shut it down. And also, there's not a lot of societal support, you know, like if, if you go to your therapist, and you're like, I just had a really weird day, because I just got really scared about the future. And, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen, you know, in my lifetime. And, you know, they'd be like, mm -hmm. okay, like you have anxiety, we can subscribe, you know, but it's a real concern, you know, and, and there's just not a lot of support for those feelings. So that's my, yeah. that's kind of the, the area I'm most interested in. Um, I'm so glad you said that because like, it's so funny. I was like, spoiler alert. Um, when I'm not doing music and podcasts, I actually work as a therapist and then yeah. And it's come up in sessions and it's very interesting because both like COVID anxiety and climate anxiety, like needless to say, not covered in grad school. Um, and so like, <laughs> but what I've been talking to clients about is that like that anxiety is actually really, it's a normal response to the circumstance. Like if you weren't anxious or scared about a monumental potential, like existential threat something would actually be very wrong it would mean you were either in denial or you weren't like accurately appraising the situation so like actually concern about that is like that's healthy and so it's like that that's actually a healthy response <laughs> and so it's like okay so like acknowledge those feelings and then like you know like that that paralysis is a fear response like sometimes we just kind of turn into little potatoes and like that's that's also normal. But once you're kind of a little bit out of the potato phase, it's like, well, how do you use that concern productively? Like, I love what you said that it's like for every person, you know, that there is, there could be like a climate solution and how you were talking about the different spheres in which we could even talk about, you know, about climate change, which is literally every sphere. So it's like in all of the things you talked about, like real estate, sports, culture, all of those, it's like people should be talking about it because it's like, yeah, we are all going to feel this existential dread um, because it's there. The other option is to deny it because it's painful, but like, that's not going to actually solve it. <laughs> so it's like, acknowledge the feelings and then be like, cool. Like, 
what action can I take? How do I build that action into my day? Like you were talking about how you didn't get responses to the post you made. I was like, oh, that sucks. But also I was like, yeah, like when a lot of, you know, when I became more aware of this, I did have to basically in my schedule put in like time for activist work because it does take time. Yeah. And it does so, take time. Yeah. 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 And so it's like, yeah. I had to actually write it down like in my calendar. So I'd remember like to do it. Cause I had to set aside time to do it. Um, mm-hmm. as my brain goes, of course I want to do that. And then it just like, doesn't do the thing. Um, so it's like, <laughs> I had to then take the next step of being like, no, 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 let me, let me book out this. Like, it's usually like half an hour on Fridays. And so it's like, let me book out when that's going to be so that I know that that's what I'm paying attention to during that time on that day. That's super um, smart, actually. That's really great. That's <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I know. I know that my brain gets excited about a million things that I want to do and then forgets like, you know, 999,000 of them. So I'm like, if I actually write it down and put it in, there's a way better chance I'm going to get it done. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, I think it's interesting what you say, and I'm glad that you have that perspective on the emotions. Cause it's, I, I just really think a lot of, and maybe I'm just, you know, paranoid and I just see climate everywhere, but I really, I really think some of the like emotional instability of our society is related to climate anxiety. That's unacknowledged. Like I really think a lot of people out there are really afraid they've absorbed it from somewhere Yes, but they don't know that they feel it necessarily. There's just like a sense of doom, you know. I mean, when when COVID hit, I was kind of shocked at how many people in my generation were just sort of like, okay, you know, like it. it because <gasps> I think we've been preparing for some like cataclysm our whole lives in this in this crazy way, and I think that older generations don't understand that. And I think, right. I think like, you know, I definitely have. T- I take the idea that climate denial I try to try to feel like climate denial is coming from the same place as climate fear and climate activism is just a different it's just like a a maladaptive response basically (laughs) you know where you're so afraid yes you know and and part of how I realized that was when I first started talking about climate change on social media it was still a time of climate denial and and people would become so vehement like they would follow me from from post to post and like and I was like what would cause you to like seek this out with such intensity you know and anger like what what bothers you about this like if you don't believe it's happening like to your opinion you don't (laughs) like spend hours of your life trying to stamp out this idea and that's where I sort of started to think like what if they feel just as passionate as I do it's just channeled in a really destructive way. Yep. Um, yep. People are so afraid of like change or new things, or, I mean, obviously this is a scary bad thing, but it's just a change in how we have to operate to accommodate the scary bad thing to actually help it be better. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. And, and yeah, it's, it's one of, it's a reason too. Why I just, I just believe that I mean, I think, I think it's becoming my, my weird worldview or like what I, something I'm just interested in is like talking about the heaviest stuff is so important. And I, I feel so much better when I personally do it. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's, you know, what if, what if everyone who was anti-vax just could say like, Oh, it's scary. I'm I'm afraid of it. And I could say, you know what? I felt a little afraid too. It was, it was freaky. It was a freaky experience. 
Yeah. And we could just move on, you know? <laughs> That's, I, I totally agree. Like I have, for lack of a better way of saying it, one of the things that I've been kind of delighted by is like kind of the death of small talk. Like I've never been a great small talker. And so like the fact that like people actually are having bigger conversations and um, are encouraged to do so. And hopefully I love what you said that it's like, maybe we could both acknowledge yeah, this is freaky and weird. <laughs> like, yeah, totally. And it's yeah. okay to have that conversation. Like, I love that. Like, I love that now when I actually like do see someone in real life, if you say, how are you? You genuinely mean it. It's not just like an excuse for someone to say, oh, I don't find how are you? Totally. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> totally. yeah, yeah. much like there's that, you know, that shame around being multifaceted or not making your money off of art, people do sometimes feel shame if they're afraid or also shame if they learn new information that um, makes them confront something that they thought before and that they might have to like change their opinion or revise what they thought like there's a lot of shame that comes up when people are like wait was I wrong about something or like did I miss something and so they'd rather like double down on being wrong than being like oh oh no it's actually just different than I thought (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah I hope, um, that, I hope that people tune in to your stuff and, and read what you are writing. Cause I know I'm like, you've been very generous with your time and I know you've got a next thing coming up yeah. in two minutes. <laughs> I gotta go. Yeah. Aww. But yeah, it was nice to, nice to talk to you. And uh, thanks for, thanks for all the thoughtful questions. Oh, it was good to talk to you too. And thank you for the thoughtful responses. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Why Not Both. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to like us and subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform. You can also come hang out with us on social media. We are at WNB the podcast, both on Instagram and on Twitter. This season, we are brought to you by Under the Radar magazine. Under the Radar is a nationally distributed print, music, and entertainment magazine and website. You can find them at www.undertheradarmag.com and feel free to support them on Patreon. Extra special thanks to our producer, Laura Studeris, who is literally a rock star. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you next episode. Thank you.